Now we're in verse 26, chapter 3 of Romans. So he covered our past sins on the old, put the blood on the mercy seat, and that's what he looked at. He didn't look at animal blood, basically. He says, that's Christ. That's the incarnate. That's me going to take care of these things. A little later on, after the law has taught you and schoolmastered you, and I'm ready, he called it the Reformation. He's going to bring the full revelation at the right time. So he didn't judge them by the full revelation. He judged them according to law, according to conscience. See, he's fair in all of his dealings. And 26 said, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. He's now he's ready. He's going to show you. He's going to take care of the old. He's going to bring forth a righteousness that the law couldn't do and that you couldn't do. He said, now I'm going to deal with it. See, his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just. Yeah. He would take care of the law. He would take care of the sins. He would take care of all. He'll be just. And a justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. See, you can't go back to law. Well, do you no good now because I'm not in that covenant. You know, people want, he said, I've abolished that. I've fulfilled it. So the law is just and holy. It's still just and holy, always has been. It just could not redeem. It could not remove sin. It could just tell you what's wrong, like your conscience. It'll tell you what's wrong. And if you try to make things right and God has certain standards, then your conscience say, you're, you're okay now. You've got made things right. See, God considers all that. All the symbols of the old of what Christ would actually do for us. That's what all the, I tell people they get saved. First thing they do is go and read the Old Testament. You get into Leviticus, they never open the Bible again. I say, don't you do that. You stay in the New Testament for a while. You learn what that, and then you go back and learn how it happened and what what. I said, now you get into Leviticus, uh, you're going to give up. I said, a lot of that's confusing, and you have to study what those symbols meant. And and then you'll see, oh, it's Christ, isn't it? Yeah. But when you don't know that, and you just come to, you know, I tell them, don't read that. Lay that aside for now. You stay in the Gospels. You study the Gospels, and then you get into epistles. And after a while, you're ready to bounce back and forth. That's what we do. Jesus said you'll have treasure out of the old and the new. So all the symbols of old were for Christ, what Christ had done for us. Christ was made our righteousness, okay? Being just, he's the called the holy and just one. In Acts, he's called the just one. He justifies us who believe. Again, just as if we're not sinned. That's what he does. He does what the law could not do, and the socket they covered, he removes it. Hebrews says our conscience is purified. It's removed. It's not covered, okay? And that's when Christ enters the temple, and he can do it then, and he can walk alongside of us. He's uh, through the, uh, people, they try to separate too much to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Oh, they have, a, they have a part, and we don't fully know the mystery. But the Spirit says, and the Spirit is Christ. It's the Spirit of Christ. So the Holy Spirit enters us. It's the Spirit of Christ. It's the Spirit of the Father. You'll separate that. People try to separate it too much. Like I said before, we have one mediator, Christ Jesus. A lot of people teach, well, we have two. We have the Son, 
we have Christ and we have the Holy Spirit. I said, but you, you technically read that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So we have one mediator. He's Christ. Christ is all in all. Now he's glorified. He's the full use of his divinity. You don't separate him. All spiritual things, uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved in it. So it's amazing when you see that. And so he says, God's way, faith in him, not in the law, not in sacrifice, not in your good works. So he said, uh-uh, I'm going to do it a different way. And the plan is all God's, and man must believe the plan and obey it. The plan never came from man. John says it's not by the will of the flesh. It's not by the will of man. I say, that's the plan. Takes your will and repentance to accept that plan. And God helps you on both sides. He helps us. Paul said, I hope God will give you the gift of repentance. He was talking about the backslider. He expressed it like he may not. You've crucified a Christ's confess. You've turned your back. And he quotes the scripture. He says, God says, I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll harden whom I want to harden. So when people start hardening themselves to the Lord, he'll harden them. And he don't have to receive them back. And some of them, he don't. They've gone too far. But in general, Old and New Testament, he wants them to repent. He offers repentance. So every backslide is not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. The ones that are persistent. And finally, the Spirit says, I ain't messing with you no more. So he goes, he says, I'll meet him and I'll take care of this judgment day. Let him live out his life. You don't cut their life short. Some of them live long. Job talked about it. He was, he was almost envious of how the wicked got away with everything. One of the psalmists, it wasn't David, he said, I envy the wicked. Their way's easy, everything. Blah, 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 blah. He said, I went to the house of the Lord and I saw their end. You cut off in the night. Terror grips them. There's no hope for them. He said, dinner don't mean nothing. I told you five scriptures, at least four. People say God has a sense of humor. Uh-uh, not the way you think. You don't joke with people. You don't play games. Says he laughed at least four times, it says. What is he laughing at? He's mocking the sinner who has abused his other children and been wicked and who mocks God. He said, I'll catch him in that day when the terror comes upon him and fear, I'll mock him. Well, that's dangerous, isn't it? Well, he still will do it. When the time's right, he gives up on a person. All of a sudden, that's it. There's no more grace. They don't talk about that, do they? Oh, he'll always say, I forgive. In most cases, some cases he won't, okay? And that's why Paul said, I pray, Perhaps, he uses that word, perhaps, he doesn't give it as a promise. Perhaps God will give you the gift of repentance. He's saying even if that guy has remorse, you have to have God to help you to come to the Lord, and you have to have God to help you to come back to the Lord. He has to be involved in these things, okay? So the plan is all God's. Man can just refuse or accept the plan. That's what he's talking about. Had nothing to do with forming the plan. Twenty-seven. And then he says, you know, by faith in Jesus, then he says, where is bragging? Where is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? Uh, no, he answers that. Oh, I know the greasy graces love this one because they interpret works 
as human works. And this is what it's talking about here. They're not talking about spiritual works. James and even Paul, he'd correct you and say, uh-uh. Yeah, he's talking about human works. You can't be justified. You can't be justified by the law. Eventually, they have to be covered, but it has to be taken care of. And he says, no, but by the law of faith. He said that God's changed it. He's made it different. Okay? So ultimately, the law and your conscience can't save you. Oh, they could help you along in a schoolman, but they can't make you righteous. Christ can. So he's saying, well, so why are you bragging? Okay? Who can brag that they did something? Who can say, I lifted myself up and I did, uh, well, they're deceived if they do. Those in the law, the Jews, question mark. They never kept the law without sinning sometime. And actually, God said they were rebellious, a step neck people all the time. He judged certain generations. Under Moses, he threatened to annihilate them at least two times. He said, I'll destroy them because they were sinning greatly. And he told Moses, I'll make a nation of you. He could have done it. He wasn't just talking. But Moses analyzed things and prayed for him and said, Give him. and God intended him to do that. But he's telling him how he thinks. I don't like this. Maybe I'll just take slow down things for a couple of years and we'll just start over with you. And I'll take care of these. Oh, he was showing him how angry he was. He was angry at Aaron. When Aaron, he was a messy mousy with people sometimes, and they talked him into making a golden calf, and they, 20-some thousand of them, dance around naked. They wanted that kind of God that would let them be promiscuous. And when God came down, or Moses came down and saw it, he broke the covenant even before they had given it. He said they broke God's law. And he told Moses, he told Aaron several years later, he says, you know, God sought to kill you, but I prayed for you. God sought to kill you. See, you were supposed to be a priest. You were supposed to, and you gave in to him and gave him. That's how the tribe of Levi got the priesthood. He told Moses, go out, he said, and kill every one of them that's committed the fornication and, and is being perverse. He said, go out and kill them. He said, I don't care if they're your mother, your father, your son, or your daughter, you kill them. And the Levites did it, and he gave them the priesthood for it. Other tribes were sort of backing up. Levites were honorable. They went in there, they slayed them. See, God wasn't going to save them. See, certain sins, he would not save them, especially when they went too far. And they went too far as far as God. Can you imagine a holy God looking down, and they're supposed to be waiting for him to give them the law and teach them how to, and they're dancing around naked, fornicating, doing everything like the nations did. That's why he hated idolatry. All of the idolatrous nations, they magnified perverseness and sexual sin, and that's why the people liked it. Appealed to their carnal nature. Appealed to their wicked nature. Okay, And God was a holy God. And he ain't going to put up with that. He don't like that at all. Okay. So he said, where's the bragging? Can you brag as a Jew? Have you kept the law perfectly? And no one can say, no, I didn't. The law simply reveals to you that you fail or they wouldn't write the rules and it wouldn't tell you how to sacrifice. Why should it tell you how to sacrifice uh, if you didn't sin? <laughs> Common sense there, isn't it? Okay. And so he said, and those in conscience, Good Gentiles are trying to live right, he said. 
know their works and their conscience that can't deliver them totally. So that's the work he's talking about. They can't do human works to justify themselves because it don't work. A sinner cannot justify himself. He cannot offer himself. He's not fit to do that before God. So that's why we had to have the sinless one. He had to take on the human nature. He got his body and his humanity from Mary. He got part of his spirit stuff and other things from his Father in heaven. So he had no original sin in him. He's called the second Adam. See, Adam was made righteous in holiness when he was created. And then he, he sinned and he failed. But Christ didn't sin. He completed this. It is finished. He was accepted before the Father. He was resurrected by the spirit of holiness. And Psalm says death could not hold him. He could not see corruption. The angel stood there for three days and guarded his body, or what they thought was his body. And his spirit went right into the, and preached or proclaimed to the righteous Jews and the righteous, who he was doing and what he was doing. And he took her up to heaven with him. His body laid there, never saw corruption. He's because he was a just and holy one. See, the father looked at him and said, oh, he was made sin, but he wasn't a sinner. I judged him as a sinner for the other people's sake. He could not see corruption. And it says he was raised. First verses of Romans told us when we studied, he was raised by the spirit of holiness and that proved who he was. He couldn't have been raised if there's any sin in him. Spirit of holiness could not have raised him, but he did. He was demonstrating he is the son of God. He is God, and yet he's a man. And he fulfilled the requirements of the Father. So who can brag about it? No, there's no human works can help. So James speaks of spiritual works. I said, well, God wants to hide the truth sometimes from arrogant people. I sometimes sit there thinking, I get a little proud of myself. You know, I could better, I'd do a better translation of this. I can make it plainer. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah. But all James had to do was say spiritual works and you'd understand. And then I began to see, Jesus said, Father, I thank thee. You hid these things from the wise and intellectual and you reveal them to the common. He don't want them knowing. See, that's why the people that don't know the Lord, they start reading the Bible, they can be worried. They'll see this is a bunch of foolishness. It don't it makes sense to me. One great, one good minister, oh, he was brilliant. He was a professor for years. He said, I read some of most of the Bible. I said, that's a bunch of foolishness. Don't make no sense. He got saved. He said, all of a sudden, it started to make sense to me. See, because God was giving him spiritual revelation. So he don't want the wicked having that. He ain't going to give it to them. They can't get it because they're not spiritual. The natural cannot interpret things that are spiritual, cannot understand them. So God has to open up mind to their spirit. So all of a sudden I said, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry I said I could write a better Bible than Paul did. <laughs> I start laughing. I said, yeah. But if James had spiritual work, it made it a lot easier. There wouldn't be so much argument. Teachers say, well, James' party was against Paul. That's a bunch of nonsense. Okay. So we see what he, no human works, the spiritual works that when a person becomes a Christian, he starts to obey. He bears fruit 
He obeys the Lord. That's his works. He starts doing. And God accepts that. He expects that. What does the scripture say? I'm thinking right now. I can't think of it. Faith works by love. That's what it says. It's a good scripture. Your faith in Christ works by love. And it's interesting you see the word works. Paul's talking about it. You know, he links them. Your faith better have works. And it better work by the fruit of Christ and the love of Christ in you. That's what he's talking about. That sums a lot up. I studied that scripture time and look at it. I said, oh, if these greasy graces look at that one, they'll change their view if they want it to. Okay. No faith alone is found in scripture. I don't care. Martin Luther, Calvin, I don't care. They're false. They're just as bad as Catholics if they teach you can be saved and you can live in your sins. They got a false gospel. Now, all of them don't believe that. I've talked to some Lutherans. They say, I don't believe that. He said, I don't believe it's faith alone. He said, I don't find as you have to serve the Lord and bear for I said, now you're enlightened. You can be a Lutheran all day long. Don't bother me. Faith that works by love. You follow, you keep following. And all of your if you don't, all of your belief and confession, James says is worthless, is dead. Your faith's dead. He makes it very plain. You see your Christian brother in need and you can help him and you don't. He said, how can the love of God be? How can you be a real Christian? See, he asks it. He says, it's a rhetorical question. He says, you tell your brother, well, go, and God will bless you, and you got the means to help him, and God's Spirit's leading you to help him. I mean, we can't help everybody. God knows that. We can't do some things at that time, and sometimes the Lord's working with that person. He says, no, I don't want you to help him. I'm not finished. I'm not finished. I'm going to bring him to the place, and then you can help him. But, so we need spiritual wisdom. But he's talking about in general. You make good money, you make a life, and yet you don't give no money. You don't help the other people. Sounds like the prosperity people. They go into hell. They're into materialism. Everything they do is how much of I can get from it. They're good bankers. They want to die rich. I said, if you die rich as a Christian like that, you're going to hell. I'm bragging, some of them more hundreds of millions. I could give you names. I said, they're not going to make it in the kingdom. How can you drop dead and profess to be a Christian minister and love the body of Christ and you're sitting there with $100 million in your bank account? There's something wrong with you. Oh, God, I don't care if you've got money. He just tells you what you have to do. He said, you that are rich, be rich in good works. Well, they're not rich if they're storing up all that money, is they? They justify it. I'm a king's kid, and God wants me to prosper and be healthy. I said, well, you're going to find out you interpreted those scriptures wrong. You read Paul. I read him often, and I don't know where the scriptures right now. He said, God will bless you and be gracious and give you an abundance. Oh, prosperity people love that. They don't read the second part of the verse. For all liberality. Ain't for you. He's blessing you that you can minister to those. He said, for all liberality to the same. He didn't say for you to store up your mansion and fill up. He said, it's for ministry. He says, so you that are rich, be rich in good works. Okay. And so we see that. Okay. Faith. I love that scripture. Faith that works. James is saying, you ain't got the faith. If it ain't working, you ain't got it. Three times, your faith is dead. And so, like I say, I repeat it over and over again. Then he says, oh, we have different chapters, but they weren't in the original. 
You go right to the second chapter. First thing he says, not many of you should be teachers. He's thinking that if you teach this stupid stuff that I'm talking about, you just shouldn't teach nobody nothing because it's foolishness. You see, that's what he meant. Verse 28. But it's the law of faith supersedes the law and conscience. If it's in Christ, takes care of things and it maintains things. So 28 says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. See, he ain't talking about the Christian spiritual works. He ain't talking about you have to obey and follow the Lord to stay in him. He's not talking about this now. He's just saying the law cannot do this. And this faith is superseding the law. And later on, he's going to tell us he's not abolishing the law. He's fulfilling it. You know, the law is just and holy. The law is always just and holy. God ain't changed. He said, but I'm going to take you a step further. Okay. And he's saying, so he says that we maintain. We, okay. We proclaiming the gospel, teaching and preaching the gospel. We maintain, we hold to this. A man is justified by faith. Does not say faith alone. See, they interpret that wrong. See, they add something at the wrong time. It ain't what he's talking about. But as soon as that man's justified, he'll start bearing fruit. He'll start having works. He'll start obeying or he ain't staying in Christ, so it ain't faith alone. Apart from the works of the law, he's comparing a faith to the law. That's what he's talking about. He's saying you, you can live by faith and do as you please. He ain't talking about that now. See, people just grab scripture out of context. And he ain't even talking about that. See, he wasn't talking about spiritual works. He'll talk about that later. Paul will talk about it if you read him. I can argue with the lying, greasy gracers and once saved, always saved. I don't care. Call them that. I've been in it 50-some years. I, I, can, I know a little bit. And I worked with them, and I, so I argue with them. Uh, I don't know more. Don't waste my time with them. It's getting darker and darker. You don't waste your time with some people. They just want to argue with you. They won't even just sit there smiling and let you quote scripture. They don't want to hear it. They wait for you to shut up so they can give you their heretical scriptures, interpretation. Once I figure that out, I don't waste time with them. It's like I always said, I do you know, center. I used to do construction work when I was in my teens. and They'd sit and try to trap you. Where did Cain get his wife? I'd say from a cabbage patch. I wouldn't even answer them. Waste no time with them. I said, you just want to argue. I don't have time for that. You're not serious. You're not asking. If they ask serious question about it, I'll answer them. But I, I, don't, I don't fool with that stuff. So he said, we proclaim apart from the law. See, he's not talking about works here, spiritual works. James was speaking of, now if you're a Christian, you better have spiritual works. Or your faith is useless. You don't have the faith. If you're not producing fruit, and one of the, all the fruits says you have to love your brother as yourself. Well, some people don't love themselves, but that don't excuse them. They have problems and they were raised wrong. See, again, they'll interpret that. Well, I love people like I was loved and I wasn't loved well, so I don't love them. I said, that ain't what that scripture means. <laughs> Jesus said, do unto others as they are to you. Well, I've had fornicators saying, well, I want to fornicate, so, you know, they should I said, uh, you're stupid. I call them stupid. You're interpreting the, uh, not the spirit, but what he's mean. What he, 
he simply says, you would want people to be good to you and not be evil. And I says, that's how you should treat people. That's what he meant. Then I look at him and say, you're really sort of stupid, aren't you? Oh, I don't care. Paul and Peter, all of them, they call even the saints foolish. And the interpretation sometimes is you're stupid. Even Jesus called his own disciples, you're fools. How long I have to be with you, you're stubborn and foolish? He meant no words with them, because they were. Nowadays, oh, a Christian wouldn't say that. Let me tell you, a true Christian is dealing with a sinning Christian. He can be very hard. If that person ain't changed, he say, I just want you to get away from me. I can't eat with you. I don't have nothing. I can eat with a sinner. I can't eat with you no more. Go away. See, because he has to represent Christ. And the Spirit's saying, I don't, I don't have much to do with him until he repents, until he gets right with the Lord. So that's what Paul said. How Why haven't you put that wicked man away from you? He was getting all over him for not doing it. It's sort of funny because the next letter, they were slow in accepting him back when he repented. Paul probably shook his head. He said, no, he'll be overtaken. Which he's trying to get right and you won't receive him now. Oh, they must have been a, a real bunch of people. Poor Paul, he had to put up with a lot, didn't he? He said, I have the burden of all the churches. I thought, oh my, oh my. God graced him for it, though. Okay. So James talked about spiritual works. He's in harmony with Paul. I've read them both for 50 years. I study them. They're saying the same thing a different way. John, in his epistle, oh, I love that epistle. There's about seven times he says in there, tells you how you can tell you're a Christian. He never uses faith. I think one time he'll mention a general thing. He don't mention grace. Everything he mentions is works, like James said. This will prove you got it. Paul's talked about that. I don't need to repeat this. I'm going to tell you something else. You read him. One of the conditions was you cannot hate your brother, your brother Christian. That's what it means. And you can't hate anybody. You get God. God says, you just leave them to me. I'll take care of them. And some of them I'll judge later but that's my business. You just go on about your way. But with a Christian, he says, if he repents, oh, people get so messed up on that. They think they have to forgive every Christian. I say, yeah, I don't. You don't have to. I said, I've heard of some great scholars I've astounded. Should you never forgive a Christian automatically unless it's something minor, but he's done something that's bad. He said, till he repents, you don't have to forgive him. God doesn't forgive him. How can you forgive him? They thought, thank God. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you and he repents, he comes to the east, then you forgive him. Didn't say there the opposite. It was implied. It's implied if he don't come to you and he repents, you don't have to give him. You leave it to God. God will take care of it. See, I've heard people say, wow. I said, boy, you're better than God. I said, isn't that astounding? You can forgive them, and yet God doesn't, because they're still in their sins. I know at times he says, you let go of it, but they aren't cleansed. But God appreciates you being willing to do that. I've had sinners come to me, Apollo. I'll forgive them. I don't hold nothing against them. I know God don't forgive them. He said, but you, he said, I'm kind to the evil and unthankful. He said, I have to take care of it one day, but you do the best you can. And as a Christian, and you go along, you try not to hold grudges against anybody. That's why Paul said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You can be angry. And even a, a Christian, you can be angry. 
if he's doing something wrong, and you can rebuke him. Even Jesus said, if he says, rebuke him, he said. Oh, you don't hear that day, do you? That means come against him harshly, firmly, and you correct him. You don't like it. He said, but if he repent, you forgive him. But he says, don't let the sun go down. After that day's over, if he ain't done anything, you say, that's your problem, God. I ain't got to deal with him no more. See, that's what you do. And you can handle people doing wrong things and mean people. You start to handle that. You know, don't bother you. You say, I represent Christ. So if they do something to me, Christ has to take care of them eventually. He don't like people only to mature us and test us. And he'll allow certain things like he did with Job. Okay. 29. Apart from faith, he said in 28, we are justified by faith, apart from the law. 29, or is God the God of the Jews only? He's asking a rhetorical question. Is he not the God of the nations? That's what the Gentiles are. Anybody who was not a Jew, they were a Gentile. They were of the nation. Is he not the God of the Gentiles of the nation? And then he says, he answers that. you got to remember, Paul was a Jew of Jews, Pharisee of Pharisees, thought like they did. So he knew how the Jews thought. And so he, and some of them are coming to the Lord and the Roman church and some of the Gentiles. So he's sort of answering both. So they're not jealous of each other. And the Jewish Christians think they were more privileged, and they weren't. They just knew more, and, they, and God appreciated that, that helped the Gentiles teach them later about what all these other things were. But they were no better. You have a Christian Jew today think he's at a special standard. He ain't no better than anybody else. And there are no Jews that are the elect and saved that haven't come through Christ Jesus. They're still wicked and lost like any Gentile. They're not saved a different way. When he talks about he's saving them, he's talking about the Jews like Paul and the Paul that came to the Lord. Paul says that he's not forsaken as though. He said, I'm a Jew. See? See, they interpret that. Oh, I hear these evangelical, oh, the Jew was a chosen, a chosen. I said, you ain't no scripture. You're so stupid. You shouldn't teach. I like to agitate it with them. Sometimes I go too far after a little repenting later because I can't believe they're that stupid. They're reading the scripture properly. But he's the God of the Gentiles also. Okay? So it's not only the Jews, but God of the nations. Look at Acts. I like that scripture. Go to Acts, Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. And Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive or I understand that God shows no partiality. So he's, we just read the scripture, there's no distinction. And so he says what? But in every nation, Whoever fears him and works righteousness. He's talking about a non-Jew. He's talking about a non-Jew who does not have the gospel, but is living according to his conscience, and he's trying to live right. Well, people say, oh, when Jesus came, no, it didn't change. It only changed when Paul went on Sabbath and preached this, and then they rejected it. Then they couldn't use the scripture no more. They'd been given the truth. He'd shake the feet, dust off his feet and said, well, you're not worthy of the kingdom. But some of them would repent, and they come out, and they would join the Gentiles. And as they grew in the Lord, the Jew could teach the Gentiles all about the law. And so he understood what he was getting. So you can see God's wisdom there, okay? He'd save a few of them. 
It's saved Malta and repent. He said, whoever fears him shows respect for God. Fearing the Lord is to depart from evil. That's one of the main interpretations of Proverbs. He is accepted by him. So uh, no Jew can say, well, we're privileged. We're better. Oh, no, you're not. You forget Job. I said, just because Jesus died on the cross, don't mean he changed everything instantly. I thought, well, it was better that Jesus didn't die because if that's true, there's a lot of Gentiles in the world. All of a sudden, they're wicked and they're going to hell because Jesus died on the cross. That's such a foolish. That's why he sent Paul out and had him go to the Jews that weren't living in Jerusalem. And they were hearing stories. They didn't know what was going on. He gave them the gospel. The Jerusalem priests and scribes, they rejected him. He said, well, I'm going to tell you the whole truth. I'm off. God's going to offer grace to you. And some believed and some didn't, okay? And I thought, isn't that fascinating? They are accepted. And this is before they become a Jew. They didn't have to become a proselyte. And see, this is Cornelius. That's how he was. First Gentile, basically, that Peter preached the gospel to. Okay? I'll get back on that in a minute. But he says, he accepted them like he accepted the Jews in the covenant of law. And then Paul later tells us, and if you're in a covenant of law and you're circumcised, that's great. If you don't keep the law, it's worthless. And he said, the Gentile that wants to live right and follow his conscience, he said, God accepts him. He said, a Jew is not one by just because his outward appearance and his circumcision. He says, as of the heart. See, so God looks at Job was the righteous man on all the earth. He didn't have to go to Jacob and Joseph and say, he's far better than you are. But he is. He lives better. But you're in my covenant. Poor Elijah ran when Ahab and then finally he got weak. He told God, I'm all alone. They seek to kill me. And God said, oh, there's 7,000 of them. Well, most of them were hiding. And most of them were not being public. But God accepted that. And that he said, oh, there's 7,000. They're not bowed the need. They at least won't go and worship Baal. Hundred prophets. There's a servant of Ahab hid. I mean, he's serving, he's the right hand man of Ahab, and he's hiding these prophets because Jezebel wants to kill him. They're hiding. So poor Elijah, I can imagine why he thought I'm the only one left. I don't see nobody else doing anything. And God said, Ah, oh, there's seven thousand. The seven thousand. See, so you get like that sometimes. You think you're the only one, but all God has is salt sprinkled around. We may not see it gathered much. It's getting darker and darker, but fine. The Lord told me, you stay, you keep a candle. You don't worry if the city lights go out on the hill. It's the eight many gatherings that are really of the Lord. Okay. So he accepted them like the Jews in the covenant. He accepted them where they were and with the light that they had. Now, when the Jew Gentile was given the gospel and he refused it, God didn't accept them no more. See? They refuse it. So when a person refuses the gospel, they stand guilty, and God is going to be as patient with them. And he said, I winked at it before. I'm not going to wink anymore because you've been told the truth. Okay. And so Peter was talking of Cornelius, a righteous Gentile, helped the Jews, even the Jewish scribes and stuff. So he's a good man. He helps our poor Jews and stuff. He didn't become a proselyte. He didn't become a Jew. That was usually required under the law. I know he did them good. He didn't listen to the Pharisees. but I'm sure they tried to talk him into it. 
but he just did good and he helped them. And so even they appreciate it. So he's done good. So we see, I like to always bring this up. Peter was given the keys to the kingdom. Jesus said, upon this rock, he was talking about the confession, but he also meant upon you, Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Well, of course, all of them give the key. But no, he was given it especially. It wasn't no popery here. He wasn't made the head of the apostles. What did he do? What does it mean? A key is to open some. He opened the keys to the Jews at Pentecost. When they were filled with the Spirit and came out, he immediately, he preached to all the Jews and proselytes that came from other nations for the Day of Atonement and so forth. 18 of them names at least. And boy, when they started speaking in tongues, they spoke in their language and they glorified God. They looked and said, oh my, they knew something was happening. He opened the door. He was the first to publicly preach the gospel after Pentecost. See, that's what it means. So he turned that key for the Jew. And then when he met Cornelius, some say eight years later, we don't know the timing. Cornelius had people in his household, 12 of them. Some his family, some his servants. And they listened to him. And Peter was so astounded. Not only did he get saved, he immediately accepted the Lord. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. A lot of people back, and even today, they can get saved and not be baptized with the Spirit. They were. See, Cornelius had taught them to live right. They were living like a good Jew would, being righteous and you don't hurt this person, you try to make up. Yeah, they were ready. He opened that door. He was the first Gentile. So Peter had the keys to the kingdom. And he opened up to the Jew and he opened up that Christ gave him that privilege. That's what that means. Doesn't mean any foul popery. He was the first. And God gave him that privilege to open the doors of the gospel. Okay. So as we said before, you don't find him ruling over the apostles. Why, he was afraid of James sometime, and James wasn't one of the original. He always did, he did something. He sent a report back to James. He had a high regard for James. Later on, James became, many believe, the bishop of Jerusalem. He administered everything. In history later, they started saying, James was the bishop, because he always spoke last, and the bishop speaks last. So I just thought that was funny. He appreciated him. It was him and the elders that made decision. Peter made no decision by himself. Let's close now and the Lord give us wisdom, give us understanding, give us practical application of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.